0: Hello, gang. I am your host, Felipe Melicio, and you're listening to the Total Basis Podcast. We are here live from the Baseball Live Facebook group, Monday Night Baseball Talk. And I brought a guest over uh, as Austin is missing in action for the moment. Uh, we'll see if he chimes in after a while. But if not, we have Dan Butler out of Tennessee to talk to us about some Hall of Fame baseball. Dan, how are you doing this evening?
1: Good evening. How are you? How are you tonight,
0: sir? I'm doing swell, man. I love, dude. This is this is one of my favorite times of the year. You know, it's hot stove baseball, uh, and when I'm not doing, you know, hot stove baseball, um, I'm crunching numbers for next year's fantasy baseball season. And when I'm not doing that around this time of year, I am knee deep in baseball statistics as I try to figure out where the baseball Hall of Fame could go right and wrong and that is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the baseball hall of fame as we have two ballots, two committees to talk about. And I always butcher it because I I always forget, but I guess that's the uh, early baseball era committee and the golden days era committee. They both have 10 players on each ballot. And we're going to talk about each player. And Dan uh, was with me what last year to talk some hall of fame baseball as well. So I figured, Hey, let's try it again. You seem to be a very knowledgeable guy. And the most important part about you being here, Dan, is that you are enveloped in the whole Negro Leagues of yesteryear. Tell us about that a little bit.
1: Trying to – so, just a little background. So, we lived in Kansas City right after we got married. Um, They had a little – their initial foray into this was like a little one room, I don't know, 2,000 square foot. Here's a couple of jerseys. Here's a couple of plaques kind of thing. Uh, A couple of years later, they – I guess bought the facility across the street and uh, really um, made it into an actual museum. Uh, If you've never, if nobody's ever been there, or folks have not been there, I should say, uh, if you ever get through Kansas city, you got to go. One of the best things they've got there is, um, and I was actually trying to make it my background. They've got a small field set up and they've got in essence, life size statues of, nine or 10 guys in their positions, you know, guys like Oscar Charleston and Satchel Page and, and all those kind of guys, all the, the big names are at their positions that they played, um, which is probably the most popular part of that museum. And then of course they've got the jerseys and, and all the things that you would expect to see in a museum about baseball. Uh, the other thing I like about it and just in general, and probably talk about some of that with some of these guys is it's not just baseball history. Yeah, it's American history. It's U.S. history um, without going way off the reservation here. But, you know, we, it's things that we need to know about the past of the game and about the country. I mean, there were things, you'll see some things that John McCraw said that I think he used as a cop out. Um, but it's American history as well as baseball history.
0: That, you know, that's something I think Bob Kendrick and all those Negro League players used to say all the time that it's not just baseball history, but it's also, a Uh, american history because uh, if i remember correctly listening to the black diamonds podcast with bob kendrick uh he does mention that it's not just about baseball it's american history you can't tell the history of america without the negro leagues uh the negro leagues uh uh you know kansas city in, in general being the hotbed it seems to be the the epicenter of all that and uh bob kendrick will tell us all the time like hey you know while you know, uh, the Negro Leagues is as American as it can get. You're you, talking baseball, you're talking jazz music, you're talking a uh, uh, food that is considered Americana. Um, I mean, in in the heartland of the of the country as well. So, I definitely agree with you in that sentiment. I would love to go one day uh, to Kansas City to visit. So maybe. Uh, the next couple of years when the baby's all grown up and you know she doesn't cry as much
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you know you you say about um Bob Kendrick you know they were talking about Jackie Robinson on one of his one of the first episodes Mm -hmm. of that podcast and you know his sentiment was and he's probably dead he's not probably he is is Jackie Robinson 1947 was the start of the modern civil rights movement that's
0: that's his argument um I mean he would he would be a better expert than I am I know that they're were other uh, precursors to all that, but you can make a, I mean, he makes a, a wonderful case about Jackie Robinson really accelerating it. And
1: yes, that I guess that would be the better term. He accelerated because he was a big name. It was a big name sport, very well seen, well known. So that's yeah. probably a better term is accelerated it.
0: Yeah. Because there were plenty, I mean, there were plenty of, of, of uh, celebrities back then, you know, that, uh, we're giving voice to a population that was kind of voiceless and not to get very, uh, well, it's a history podcast, right? I mean, we're right. talking history, the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about uh, singers like Billie Holiday and uh, Josephine Baker, and and uh, geez, the other names escape me. The, who's the other guy? The oh man, is like Chad Calloway? No, is that a football player? I don't remember. Uh, you know, the guy who goes, hidey, hidey, hey, well, Heidi, 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 hey, yeah.
1: Cap calloway okay so i'm not going crazy no no no. you're right you're right
0: <laughs> but i mean i mean yeah i mean it's like anytime you see someone that kind of uh entertains and humanizes it's the same thing that happens nowadays with with, with guys with with artists like michael jackson prince uh denzel washington who we just talked about in the pop culture life as well it, it does kind of like hey you know what it does kind of uh put a human aspect into it you know to people who are marginalized that's probably what Jackie Robinson did back in 1947, 48, 49, when he was just getting a start and it made people kind of question their values a little bit, I think, um, especially during that time. And let's face it, even with Jackie Robinson, you and I know he faced a lot of scrutiny just for being black. And well, and
1: I, I, I think when I mean to interrupt, but I think one thing no, that probably made him, I guess, for lack of a better term, I'll say hated, but maybe Folks disliked him a little bit more because he did not back down. Yeah, he took, he, in retro he kind of took the fight to them, so to speak. Right? He did not back down when he was, you know, being mocked or tried to be humiliated or whatever. And I know the movie probably wasn't one hundred percent accurate, but it was. <laughs> it was. You know, there were a lot. Of, I, I think a lot of us who understand baseball can say it might not have happened exactly like that, but it probably was pretty close.
0: Yeah, I mean, Bob Kendrick will say that, you know, they they picked Jackie Robinson because he was um, he was Mister All America. He was married. Uh, he seemed to have the most uh, the more docile character than anybody who may have been more talented. At least that's how the legend goes. And uh, because of that, his I mean, his numbers retired. Every April fifteenth, we celebrate Jackie Robinson right. across all baseball, and it's it's fantastic. And the other thing that people forget about Jackie is. Um, As much of uh, as a freedom, not the freedom fighter, sorry, uh, the uh, the civil rights uh, uh, person that he was, he was a Republican as well. So that's the other Uh god thing about it. Uh I mean, it's not it's not a bad thing, but usually the connotation is, well, it's the Democrats who push for civil rights. But here's a civil rights person and he's uh, pushing for Richard Nixon, if if memory serves me correctly, or even Dwight Eisenhower or or, uh, Gerald Ford. Although I don't know if he was alive for Gerald Ford. But anyway, uh, but it, it's like it was it was more complicated is what I'm trying to say than what yeah, uh, absolutely. the mythology has led you to believe. I mean, yeah, he was he definitely did not back down. He definitely uh, was a uh, civil rights uh, leader. But, you know, there was other things that he was disillusioned by liberals and the Democratic Party. And that's where the switch happened. And, you know, and uh, not to get political, but I mean, it is what it is. That's when you read a story, when you read the whole story about Jackie Robinson. That is one of the things that they mentioned I was like yeah he he ended up being a conservative Republican and and people are what <gasps> how how is that possible well
1: right
0: America's a complicated country isn't it
1: well it is you know it's like you know we're gonna talk about some stats for some of these guys and and do they hold them now or do they not hold them now it was a different time mm, so yeah. values were different at the time just like you know is war and OPS, are those stats we hold people to those stats back then because that wasn't necessarily what they focused on. Right. They didn't really care about stats. They didn't, they played. I think the same thing goes for what you're talking about is, you know, times were different. People thought differently. Parties thought differently. You know, has it flipped? I don't know. I don't really want to get into all that of course, <laughs> but, but I mean, I find that interesting. I actually, uh, uh, that was one of more fascinating things that I learned about that guy is that he ended up being, uh, card carrying member of the right which you never would have thought
0: (laughs) that's exactly what i'm saying so uh i mean jackie was definitely one of a kind character and like i said his legacy will live on forever as long as uh well first of all he doesn't get canceled he can't get canceled anymore right because god rest his soul but for the rest of time no one can wear the number 42 and every april fifteenth is not just tax day here in america damn it it's also (laughs) jackie robinson day uh his wife is still revered as someone uh as someone that is with high respect, in, in not just the uh, baseball world, but also in, in, I guess, in American culture as well. So lots, so that's that's where it stems from. And uh, we we're talking about Jackie because he opened up the floodgates. He did. You could almost, yeah, he did. And now we're here, where now there's seven Negro Leagues baseball players who are in the ballot from the early baseball era, and only uh, three Major League players, I guess, you could say. So let's get started. Let's get up and running. Uh, let's see. What do we have? Let's I, I want to go in a certain order, so I'm not losing. Well, a, a quick,
1: spot. real quickly, if I could, I, yeah. I kind of wanted to pull and see what the mission statement was for the Hall of Fame, because I think a lot of people look at the Hall of Fame and they say, oh, Bryce Harper is yes. Barry Bonds is just yes, because they look at the numbers and that's what mm-hmm. we're using. I say we baseball in general is using to put guys in the Hall of Fame. But I looked at their mission statement uh, on their Web page. Uh, and I'll just read a couple of snippets, but it's, it talks about being dedicated to fostering an appreciation of the historical development of baseball and its impact on our culture. That's Jackie Robinson. That's the Negro Leagues. Another part talks about honoring those who have made outstanding contributions to our national pastime. That can mean a lot of things. Right. right. Branch, he's one of them. Um, and then finally, in, in the second paragraph, it talks about um, their mission is to preserve the sports history, honor excellence within the game and make a connection between the generations of people who enjoy baseball. Making a connection between generations, that's kind of what all this is. So it's, it's not always about numbers. That's why when we look at some of these Negro League guys is don't necessarily get caught up in the numbers because you're going to look at the numbers and say, that guy's not a Hall of Famer. When <laughs> you talk about some of the things they've done in the game, there are so many firsts that came out of the Negro Leagues that you've got to take a look at that. So I
0: just want to throw that in there. No, that's, uh, that's uh, definitely uh, something I'm glad you brought up because when people think about the Hall of Fame, the first thing they think, well, uh, as one of my friends, uh, Robert uh, Robert Holiday, who also have, has done these podcasts with me, his idea of the Hall of Fame is that you are walking among the gods, as he would say all the time. Yeah. And uh, at this point, we're thinking about Robert. He's going through a really tough time in his life. So a uh, mm-hmm. friend of the show, good friend of mine as well. Um, but yeah, he is that's his ideal. Like, if it were up to him and my buddy Matt Bushnell, too, who does the football podcast, they would only bring in the, the top of the top, the cream of the crop, right? Which would leave a lot of bunch of other people who didn't get those numbers out of the picture. But it just says right there honoring those who have made outstanding contributions to our national pastime. It's the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Famous. It didn't say anything about you need to randomly get 3,000 strikeouts and 300 wins and 500 home runs in order to be considered. Correct. It's right there, dedicated to fostering an appreciation of the historical development of baseball and its impact on our culture. You just mentioned, it's not just about baseball history. It's American history, American culture. It's Americana. So without that being said, we mentioned that because a lot of these guys who are uh, nominated are going to have to be considered mightily because of their off, uh, not off the field, but uh, just their contributions in general to baseball. Uh, I have it set up uh, at the Baseball Reference website uh, I guess it's listed by by war. So are you OK? We just go line by line war by. Uh, yeah, that's
1: fine. I can. I'll find it and I'll, I can talk real quick about him. All
0: right. Uh, first up to the plate is Bill Dolan. This is a guy that w- I mentioned my buddy Robert. We did an episode where we talked about uh, the first, uh, I guess, from 1896 to 1906. Uh, yeah, uh, we talked about those, that 10 year period of baseball and Bill Dolan was way up the list. Uh, no matter which advanced statistic I use, whether it be uh, uh, offensive runs above average, defensive runs above average, base running metrics, or or just war in general, he was way up there. And, like, and then I find out he's not in the Hall of Fame. And how is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Uh, why is he so disrespected after all these years? You know,
1: in, in, I would venture a guess. I mean, I think a lot of folks in this group are pretty knowledgeable on baseball. I would guess a lot of folks have probably never heard the name Bill Dahlin before this ballot came out. Now, that's the reason because he was back in, you know, 1890 to the 1910s. Um, But you talk about advanced metrics, um, you know, looking at his information for shortstops all time, he's ninth in war. Mm -hmm. Ninth. Think of all the shortstops that have ever played baseball to major leagues. He is ninth of all time. Now, is that
0: baseball reference or, or fan graphs? You got to be specific. Baseball
1: reference. I, I use baseball reference. so <laughs> I'm sure there's probably an asterisk by it right now, right? <laughs> it's not Fangraphs, but I got to believe fan graphs are probably pretty close to that.
0: I, I, I didn't check, but it sounds right. I know when I did, when, like I said, when he did it, not only was he the one of the best shortstops of all time, according to War, he was among the best players of that time, of his era. Like, it Isn't
1: that kind of how a lot of us on the Hall of Fame, right? Is you have to be the best I guess at your position when you played.
0: Yeah. Well, this guy transcended his position in terms of production. I mean, he was it. I mean, and again, it's position era, but it's only era and position when, when, I don't know. I feel like it's, there's like a lot of double speak, a lot of double standards when it comes to these players uh, eligibility. Uh, But Bill Dolan, I mean, you listed it here. I mean, yeah, he didn't get the the sexy. The
1: fun thing about baseball though is Double standards, you double talk, you talk on both sides of your mouth a lot in baseball. I mean, that's that's <laughs> the fun of it. There's a lot of yeah buts when you talk about it.
0: Yeah. Well you know, in, in, go ahead.
1: you know, and again, this baseball reference war we're talking, but it's better than Jeter, Larkin, Trammell, Reese. That would be pee-wee, not pokey. Uh <laughs> Ernie Banks, Lou Boudreau, Louis Aparicio. All those guys, I mean, he's better than all those guys when it comes to the war. So that alone, and in, of in the top ten uh, all time top ten shortstops, he and a route are the only two guys not in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Arod's a conversation for a different day, but so to your point earlier, I mean, real simple: how is this guy not in?
2: I
0: mean, yeah, well,
1: he's brainless.
0: It looks like this would be his best chance. Everything about from Baseball Reference favors him to get in this year so we'll see uh and quickly we move on we got 20 players to go through uh, you have anything else to add about Bill oh, down before it. we move on that's so it. i hope you don't mind doing a rapid fire like i said no, I, no, I, I got I, I got a
1: couple bullet points for everybody so we'll
0: awesome make that's why i have you on board man left deal duel who's there's a guy we just talked about off the field contributions there's a guy who will need a lot of uh, consideration for off the field contributions because uh he made his
1: mark in japan didn't he he did you know and i actually don't have information on him I think I neglected to put him on here but he did do a lot that's one thing I found out about him is he did a lot in Japan and and again not MLB but did he contribute to baseball overall yeah he did there's a lot of things he did I gotta pull him up because I I did not I, I guess I missed him
0: Yeah, I thought maybe that you you were working on him. still. I saw nine players like, oh, I'm sure he'll send an update or he'll talk about it. But here it is from the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame website. Played for 11 seasons in the majors. uh, Won two National League batting titles. uh, Has a career batting average of 349. So a lot of traditionalists will point to that and say, oh, well, 349 career batting average. He must be in the Hall of Fame then. Uh, He managed in the Pacific Coast League and was credited with more than 2,000 victories. But again, that's minor leagues. But his real contribution, 1932, O'Doole and other players traveled to Japan where they instructed college students on the intricacies of the game. He returned to Japan several more times throughout the decade and then multiple times after World War II, becoming a beloved figure in the history of Japanese baseball. Uh, Dan, I mean, you can almost say, I mean, we talk about Jackie Robinson opening up the floodgates for a lot of these Negro League baseball players who are uh, up for uh, induction this year. You can almost say that without Left Deal Duel, there are no there is no influx of Japanese players. I, I mean I mean, it, I mean it happened a little later, but it, Yeah, but
1: that falls under that. Yeah, right. For the good of the game, sort of sort of clause, right? It's he helped expand the game to a completely different continent. Mm-hmm. So it's other races. So I, yeah, he's he's right there. Um I didn't vote for him.
0: <laughs> we'll get to that in just a minute here but yeah I, I was this close to voting for him but then i mean i, I it's really hard to well we'll talk about it uh, our, our ballots when we get to it but yeah i sure. left you duel his big contribution to japanese baseball and as you know uh, that brought eventually would bring in guys like hideo nomo ichiro suzuki and now shohei otani um this is the guy who brought that baseball fever to japan to the whole uh, to the country of japan all right who's next on the docket here Ali Reynolds, my guy. Ali Reynolds. Ali Reynolds. Um, I talk, I, well, really quick, I just want to point out that I yeah, talked about this with you two uh, in the private chat while we were getting ready for the show. Uh, Ali Reynolds uh, was a prominent figure in Peter Golenbach's, uh ne- book about the New York the 1950s Yankees called Dynasty. And Ali Reynolds, who was nicknamed Super Chief, although I could have sworn that he was just simply known as Chief.
2: Chief um,
0: yeah but I don't know. I looked it up and, and baseball reference says it's, it was super Chiefs. like, all right, whatever it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he is a half native American uh, from Oklahoma and he was one of the all reliable um, starting pitchers for that dominant Yankee squad uh, for almost uh, well, I, mean, I think he won six championships with them. I believe if, if I remember correctly, yeah. what do you got for Ali Reynolds on your end? So he, he, he
1: won six titles with the Yankees. Um, was an all-star six times, and two of his seasons, he was top 10 MVP. And for a pitcher that's saying something, you know, he didn't play a lot. I mean, he played 13 years, so, you know, half the years he won a championship, half the years he was an (laughs) all-star. I mean, that's – those are pretty – you know, as I started looking at his numbers again, I thought nothing jumps out, but we're – you know, I'm looking at it through the scope of, hey, he watched too many guys, he didn't strike anybody out. Well, that's the thinking for 2021. I think but, for back then was not the same. So
0: yeah, and I think before the show we, we were talking about how I mean first of all strikeouts I mean until Herb Score and Whitey Ford came on right there weren't a lot of people a lot nope. of pitchers striking a lot of guys but because they played in these cavernous ballparks all they really had to do was just put the ball up uh, uh, above the strike zone and just induce fly balls and you know you get you got Mickey Mantle behind you and he's gonna get to every single ball in Death yep. Valley up in center field. And that's all she wrote. And that's, and that's how him and a lot of those Yankee pitchers like Vic Rashi, that's how they survived. Just, you know, they didn't have to uh, throw with high velocities or have their best stuff. All they had to do was just lay it up there and, and trust their defense to get them out of, uh, and, and trust their ballparks as well to get them out of jams. And uh,
1: even if they didn't make yeah. the out, you know, they're going to give up a, a long single or a double. That was it. It wasn't a homer.
0: Yeah. It wasn't an automatic run. And, you know, yeah. And a lot of those guys I and mean, the Yankees were stacked in the outfield. They always made sure to get the guys with the strong arms and the, and the great range. And yeah, uh, I could talk about, I mean, that's one of my favorite books of all time, uh, even though, you know, you could say I'm a Yankee hater, but I, I think I, I honestly, I, I, as you, some of you guys know, I root for both the Cubs and the White Sox, but because of that book and books just like that, I almost became a Yankee fan just, just because of, of, I mean, you, you couldn't go to the, to the school library. And not pick out a Yankees uh, uh, a Yankee book because they were the most prominent team out there.
1: Yeah, well, uh, and that's the thing. Again, we talk about baseball history, American history. You can't talk about baseball history, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on where you sit, without talking about the Yankees. Because I mean, <laughs> late forties into the mid sixties, yep, it was the Yankees. I mean, they were baseball. Let's be honest, they were. Yep.
0: And, and Allie Reynolds was a major was a uh, big,
1: part big, big part of it.
0: Big part of it. Big part of it. The the downside to Reynolds is. The, the county stats aren't there. The rate stats aren't there. It's a lot of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a lot of anecdotal evidence to get him in there. But we just talked about how different of a time it was back in those days. And he did uh, uh, play during a, a war-torn country as well. So, but uh, yeah, that's that. When I saw Allie Reynolds, I got excited because it brought me back to my childhood as I was one of those prominent names I used to read out a lot about. Uh, next on the talk is George Scales. Uh, he has a nickname, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, Cubby. <laughs> it's quite, uh, quite flattering. Um, again, we, we talk about stats that have played 20 years, but they've only recorded or they've only found you know, 2,500 basically played appearances for the guy in, in 20 years. Not to say they're not out there because, again, a lot of us that follow the game know that if they found 2,500 in different historical references and articles and things like that, There's probably another 2,500 sitting out there somewhere that did not get recorded because they may have been barnstorming through North Dakota and nobody kept score. They barnstormed through Oklahoma and nobody kept score. Uh, But his – I think his 14 came through managing. Um, He managed the Black Yankees in 1932, 148 and 27. That's pretty good. You win 85% of your games. That's pretty solid. Um, He also managed a lot in Puerto Rico. Uh, He won some titles down there as well. He was manager of the year down in Puerto Rico four different times in the forties. Oh, wow. So, you know, he's, he's one of these guys who, you know, he was 319, 19, four 21 and five Oh nine on a slash line, which is pretty good. You know, that, that would get you t- playing time now, but I think, I think where his memory comes in, if you will, will be what he did as a manager. Mm. Um, again, overall, he won 64% of games. He managed, he managed a record of anyway, about 1200 games. When manage 1,200 games, you win 64. That's that's a strong number.
0: And uh, yeah, his nickname was Tubby. Uh, just and we talked about how different eras, different times. You got to account for those eras. His this guy's nickname is Tubby. He's 5'11", 195 pounds. Um, I think most of us would kill to have that kind of. Brother, physique. if I could get to one ninety
1: five, I. I take it right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, same, and uh, yeah, that way my doctor can leave me alone about my weight. Yeah,
1: call me, and then you can call me whatever you want at one (laughs) ninety five. You want to call me W? Go right ahead. (laughs) Uh,
0: Born in uh, born in Talladega, Alabama, uh, the racing hub down there. So yeah, uh, but that's going to be a theme though. Uh, There's numbers missing. They don't have all the data. They don't have all the stats. It's somewhere out there. If they could just dig a little deeper and find it, so it is unfortunate. But that's also go ahead. I'm
1: sorry. I, I look at a website, again. I even posted uh, in the group, um, uh, a website that has just, it's not the Negro League Museum, but it's a, a site that has, ex- I mean, extensive, like 30, 40 pages research done on a lot of these guys that we're talking about and just some other players. Uh, I mean, it, you talk about getting into the minutia.
0: What's the website I mean,
1: called? this is, um, let me look on this other one. It is,
0: but just to finish my thought really quick, I just said, I think that's part of the uh, intrigue about these players is that it, it's um, it's mysterious, but in a good way, not not like who I, mean, I don't know who these guys are. Who cares? But it, it, it right. makes you I don't know when I was doing the research, I'm like, I, I wanted to dig a little deeper as to who these guys were, because these are names I never heard of before. But all of a sudden, they're uh, considered to be Hall of Famers uh, this year because of the uh, the way they decided to split the eras uh, for the Hall of Fame. So it, it does add a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of uh, of curiosity, if you will, to see who these guys were, not just yeah. as players, but as people as well. And did you find that website over there?
1: I did. Yeah, it is C as in cat, N as in Nancy, L as in Larry, B as in boy, R dot org, C-N-L-B-R dot org. Um, it's it, I mean, it is extensive research uh, on this stuff. And it's just that's why I got a lot of this information. It's just I mean, it would take you. Two months to read all of it. <laughs> I'm talking, Like I said, I'm talking 30, 40 pages to read one of these guys.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating.
1: It is, it really is. Uh,
0: let's move on to Vic Harris. Uh, I feel like he also had a, a weird nickname, Is or am I thinking about someone else there?
1: Uh, well, there's a couple others that have some nicknames. Um, actually, I have one other one that has a nickname. But <laughs> uh, no, you're thinking of someone else. Okay. Um, this is a guy, again, you know, 600 games. In 18 years, they've got a record of him playing in 600 games. His number is nothing flashy, 305, 372, 427. Again, in today's era, that'd be great. But his uh, his calling card was as a manager. He was probably one of the best, if not the best manager in the Negro Leagues at the time uh, in the 30s and 40s. Uh, he managed for 11 years. Um, he was a manager for eight All-Star games. He won two titles uh two world series uh won seven pennants wow um so i mean this guy and he managed the homestead grays hmm. those of us again that, that know about that stuff the homestead grays were the new york yankees of yeah. the negro they were in it. uh you listen to some of those bob kendrick podcasts to talk about the homestead grays and the pittsburgh crawford's uh the little battle that Greenley and um
0: yeah uh, I was just Georgia listening to that and-
1: they had, had, um, it's, it's, you think and you're like, that's exactly what happens right now. It was no, it was really not a lot different then than it is now. Um, so his calling card again, he was, you know, those 11 years, by far the best manager, he won 66% of his game, seven pennants a couple world series. Um, that's a pretty good run for, for 11 years again, playing nothing spectacular that would jump out at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably the best manager in the Negro League's history.
0: Yeah, I was listening to all that. I mean, that sounded like I mean, the Kendrick just started naming guys. Like, hey, I know that guy. I know that guy. Hey, I actually know that guy. It's like a bunch of it's a who's who of Negro League baseball history. On the same team on the same team. It's crazy. Yes. Like like you mentioned, the New York Yankees of the Negro League. So, uh, quickly about Vic Harris. So we talked about Tubby. Uh, oh, geez, what's his name? Uh, was it George Scales? Yeah, Tubby nickname, Scales. Tubby Scales, sorry. Uh, what, being a uh, 5'11", 195-pounder. Uh, so that's why he was nicknamed Tubby. And we say, we both agree, oh, man, I would gladly take 195 pounds at this moment. Vic Harris is 5'10", and 168 pounds. So just an inch smaller than Tubby uh, Scales. But obviously, what, about 30 pounds or so lighter than uh, Tubby yeah. Scales? So therefore, just, he, yeah, that's right. He was right. just
1: Portly. They just called him Portly. <laughs> He uh, wasn't fully stubby.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Vic Harris, uh, another guy from Alabama, Calhoun, Alabama, also with his brother, Bill Harris, as well. I, so, a, a sibling calling card there. Um, Dick Redding is the next guy on the list. What
1: cannonball? You, yeah. The Cannonball. Um, so, this guy, again, not a lot of records, fucking early 20s and 30s. Um, he was a barnstormer, but. A lot of newspaper accounts, which is what that particular website that I gave you, um, they do extensive research. They look at, you know, they, they've got all the newspaper articles and different stories at the time. But the newspaper accounts back then credit him with pitching seven no-hitters against all levels of competition. That was in 1912. And they also have him at 30 no-hitters in his career. Now, again, we got context is – He wasn't playing against Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, DiMaggio. He was pitching against Cletus on the North Dakota barnstorming team, right? So he wasn't necessarily playing against even very good players. But the fact is he still dominated everywhere he pitched. Mm -hmm. Everywhere he was allowed to pitch, he dominated. Um, In fact, so this is one time when John McGraw piped up. They asked him which black players he would like to have on his team. And uh, the cannonball here was one of them, along with Smoky Joe Williams, Spotswood Poles, and Henry Pop Lloyd are the four guys that he would take on his team. Is they, the nicknames
0: are just off the chain right now. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> oh, man. And,
1: oh, and, 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 you know, we talked about the Homestead Grays, and we talked about um, the Pittsburgh Crawfords and that rivalry. Mm-hmm. So, one of the big names out of that was Cumberland Posey. Uh, he was the owner. And, When they asked him, who who are your top two pitchers? One of them was Smokey Joe Williams. The other one was the Cannonball, Mr. Redding. So to me, that's the kind of stuff that holds a lot of weight. That guy was the Negro Leagues, too. He was was immersed in it, obviously, as an owner. If that guy's telling me that Cannonball Redding was one of the best pitchers of the era, then I'm taking him at his word.
0: Wow. Uh, I mean, that's high praise. That's real high praise uh really quick just wanted to say hello to henry calum chris matthew and steve for tuning in and talking some hall of fame i hope you guys are staying cozy in this uh dreadful chicago weather although i don't know calum's from london i believe henry's from new york so we're all over the place here at the baseball life baseball group really quick something that really bothers me though is they asked john mcgraw if if he could have any black baseball player who would it be and 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 he clearly knows about these guys he clearly knows that the, the existence of these of these great baseball players and yet it would not be for another what 30 40 years for the you know, color barrier it, to be broken
1: we got one of these other players coming up um, Has other some other things that John McGraw said about him that uh, um, I think will to me shed a little bit more light on you know, what he says and what his intentions are behind what he says.
0: Ah, all right. All right. Well, is it John Donaldson?
1: It is not John Donaldson. Oh, wait, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> it, uh, it is John Donaldson. Actually.
0: Oh, all, right. You know, Life-proof well, all it, right. This
1: is the guy who, you know, you and I were talking, I was thinking of maybe changing a vote, but I didn't. Um, so again, this is, again, there is a website, um, that I didn't look at because it's just it's full of information, but I got it again off that website I've already given. Just how many, how much research has gone into all these guys? This guy here, they looked at, they found 667 games that he was known to have pitched in through mm. stories, box scores, and whatnot. Over 5,000 strikeouts confirmed, over 400 verified wins, 14 no hitters, and two perfect games. The reason, one of the reasons people don't know about him and it's hard to find the stats is the guy played in 725 different cities.
2: Jesus Christ. The U.S.
1: and Canada. Um, the guy, this guy's name, the last name is Gorton, who, who studied this stuff. He looked at more than 7,800 newspaper accounts. So it's as thorough as you're going to get. 725 cities in the U.S. and Canada. And it was all pretty much if you go to North Texas, all the way up to Canada it was all in that middle part of the world, which we know a lot of the barnstorming took place. Yeah. So this goes again with, with John McCraw, Hall of Fame manager, right? He said, I think the greatest I've ever seen, and I would get $50,000 for him. And here is the key word, your key phrase, if it weren't for the color line in baseball. (laughs) So in my opinion, knowing how things were back then, it was real easy for him to say, Oh, I'll give that guy a hundred grand to play for me. But Hey, I can't, you know, there's, he can't come play for us because he's not a white guy.
2: Oh, my God. I
1: think he said that knowing that there was no way he was going to be able to come play for him. Yeah. So it was a real easy thing to say, sure I'd pay for him. But another interesting thing that actually lends some credence to maybe he was truthful was he actually offered this guy, John Donaldson, $10,000 to go to Cuba, change his name, and come back to the United States. Disguised as basically a dark-skinned Cuban.
0: Yeah, because they're not black.
1: (laughs) Yeah, apparently that was okay. Uh, But he refused to take the money. So I mean, that actually gives me a little bit more, a little bit more credence to what he thought of the guy if he was going to pay him to go down and change his name.
0: Yeah, change his name, change this. I'm surprised he didn't tell him to bleach his skin a little bit while he's at it.
1: Well, then Sammy Sosa, but that's a different story. Well, no, he's Um, just
0: pink now at this point. (laughs) Pepto Sosa.
1: I think there's something to be said for that too, is he refused it. And, you know, a lot of people would say 10,000 back then. It's a lot of money. Why wouldn't you take it? But, you know, there's a guy that wanted to make it on his own with who he was and how he was, as opposed to, I guess, not being himself and, and, and coming back as someone else, changing your name just so that I'm accepted by white baseball, baseball in general, which, to your point, how is a dark skinned Cuban at that time any different? Because there were a lot of Cubans in the Negro Leagues.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, he... found
1: those, I found those two quotes pretty fascinating to talk about how good this guy was. Yep. Because um, like I said, first I thought that was just an easy thing to say because he knows he can't jump. But when he offered him a way to make the jump, he still refused it. So uh, maybe, maybe he had a little something behind what he was saying, his opinion.
0: That's I mean, it's just insane to me. It just sounds absolutely insane uh speaking of which oh no sorry i was thinking about somebody else here oh no 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 yeah he did uh bill speaking of which bill dollin uh i think he, i believe he was a teammate and even a player under john McGraw, if i if i remember correctly yeah so it's all connected it's all connected so
1: one last thing on john donaldson is um yeah. you're know, the kansas city monarchs um dale wilkinson he said he was one of the greatest pitchers to ever live white or black and again that guy would know i mean he was immersed in baseball So, again, when a guy like that tells you he's one of the greatest of all time, there's some credence
0: there. It's just just insane. I mean, 100 years later, or more than 100 years later, now it's like fans demand that these Major League Baseball teams get off their ass and go all over the world and find us the best baseball players to play in Major League Baseball, regardless of religion, race, ethnicity, whatever. At this point, sexual orientation – and Dan, you're a hist- you're kind of a history buff. I I, I would take it. I pay attention. I try to pay attention. Well, to me, it's just the weirdest thing. I mean, the North won the Civil War, right? And somehow, Jim Crow laws, which were running rampant in the South, take over not just the country, but this game of baseball that's supposed to unite everybody. And just be universal, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter your skin color. It's can you help the team win? It's a team
1: sport. It, it is. And you know, you oh know what be, is is if that was happening now? Yeah. The, the thought process is, and it wasn't this and maybe it was back then, but that would, I mean, think about how that generates more, even more revenue. But maybe they looked at us to say, well, wait a second. I agree. We need to bring everybody in. But if I do, I'm going to lose all these folks who, who don't want that. So yeah. maybe... You know, maybe that was their counter. I don't know, but uh, I'm with you. I don't really give anything. I don't care who you are. If you help my team win, you're a good player. Come on over. I don't. You know, there's a lot of people that don't like that. It's America's game. Well,
0: for America's, some Americans, for some Americans, it's
1: <laughs> really small now. You know, the internet has made the world very, very, very small.
0: Internet globalization, all of that. I mean, shoot, McDonald's want, is everywhere I now. You.
1: I want the absolute best players playing. I don't care where they're from.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm glad we're at this point now, but oh, Jesus Christ, this is, I know it's a different era. I know it's a different time, and yet I still read this stuff. I, I would have that player, but he's black, so you know how that goes. Eh. John McGraw, Hall of Fame manager, saying this. I mean, he, he could get away with stuff like that because he was one of the more winning managers at that right. time. Right. Uh, so, but the fact that even the winning manager says, well, you know, I got to play by the rules, knowing damn well that winning solves everything. But I digress. Let's go uh, next man up. Uh, this is probably the most popular of the Negro League players that are listed here. It's almost uh, perplexing as to how he's not in the Hall of Fame. But it's Buck O'Neill, 5'10", 190-pounder. So not quite tubby. What's that?
1: He's a slam dunk in. He, I mean, he should be. Um, he... First of all, he was the driving force behind the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. Obviously, this guy, before he passed away, we lived in Kansas City for a bit. This guy was it. I mean, he was the most popular guy at the Royals games. He was the most popular guy in town, period. Um, (laughs) You'll hear, you know, he's one of these guys, there was a lot, there were a lot was. There were a lot of guys in the Negro Leagues, as you listen to that podcast, who never met a stranger, and he was one of them. He never, ever met a stranger. He'd always ask you how you were doing. He would listen to you. Um, I got to meet him one time. He would never remember. I just happened to shake his hand. Um, but he's just – one of these guys has a smile on his face all the time. And knowing what a lot of these guys went through back then, the fact that they are able to sit here and smile and, and talk about the good times is absolutely uh, – it's mind-boggling to me, and, the strength that these guys had. Yeah, yeah. Back, yeah, back to Buck O'Neill, I mean – first African-American coach in major leagues for our Chicago Cubs. That's right. Um, now, there's a couple, you know, we talked about, you know, as a scout, he was responsible for bringing Ernie Banks, Billy Williams, Lou Brock, and George Altman to the Cubs, um, which is obviously three of those names are, well, two of those names are legends. One could have been a legend, uh, but he was a legend elsewhere to the boring town. Um,
2: <laughs> Lou Brock.
1: Here, here's another interesting Thing that I found which it kind of baffles me They in 2008 they actually honored his legacy with the Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award so the Hall of Fame that he is not in is giving out an award with his name on it
0: oh my lord yeah
1: so uh, they yeah. recognize and I get that the Hall of Fame itself is different to the voters but they're giving an award with the guy's name and he's not even in the Hall of Fame this guy is the no-brainer of all no-brainers he yeah. is the biggest, you know, go on YouTube and look at his interview with Letterman when he was on the Letterman show. I mean, the guy is so full of knowledge, well, was full of knowledge. You um, talked about ambassadors for the game, and, and he's kind of the guy that made me want to look up what the mission statement was when we talk about historical development and its impact on our culture and those who made outstanding contributions. That is Buck O'Neill 100%. This guy's in the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um... So something it's just the the hypocrisy of the Hall of Fame to have a guy like that be name an award after him, but not put him in the actual Hall of Fame. And this has to be the year. I mean, it seems like he's gaining momentum. Uh, like you said, he's a slam dunk uh, for if anything, just for his off the field contributions. You mentioned all those players that, that he was able to sign as a Cubs Scout. Uh, he also brought in Lee Smith, Joe Carter, who was the hero of the 1993. Was it 93 or 92? 92 World Series. Or 93. Damn it. No, 93, 93. Sorry. Mitch well, 93 Williams.
1: 93 when you hit the
0: Homer, yeah. Yeah, off Mitch Williams. Oscar Gamble as well. Uh as uh, as said on the uh Black Diamonds podcast with Bob Kendrick. He listed all those players along with the guys you just mentioned. Uh so that alone, I mean, I know scouts don't get a lot of uh a lot of play, a lot of uh Hall of Fame talk, but there's something to be said about just hitting on every single Hall of Famer that you can get. I'm pretty sure you had the inside track on these guys, though, you know. Sure. Uh, so that but use it to his his advantage
1: though he was the first african-american coach at mlb that's again that's what a lot of this there are a lot of firsts in the knee release he was the first that's gotta that's gotta stand for something it's not that he was the first and then faded away he was the first and he stuck around baseball for a long time and being i think that word ambassador is overused a lot (laughs) lot. not not for this guy now for this guy. This Not guy this truly guy. was an ambassador for the game, and he was an ambassador for the Negro Leagues. Um, I don't understand. I'm with you. I don't understand how this guy's. Met. It's been what 13 years since they named an award after him. 13 <sighs> years, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I think we can consider getting him in there now."
0: Uh, yeah, it's like, absurd. It. And if anything, he's the reason there is a Negro Leagues Hall of Fame. Yep.
1: So absolutely, and there's a reason there's a huge interest in it now because yeah, well, it was baseball with Tim Burns. They did a spot in there, and he started getting a lot of interview requests because he was – there wasn't a lot of guys left um, at the time, so he was getting a lot of interview requests. And, you know, he's on Letterman. He's on all the talk shows day, night, daytime, nighttime, and he's just getting – he's getting the message out there. That along with the Negro release Hall of Fame – or museum, rather. Yeah, I, I think that that's the contribution he made to this game. Is he does not want the past to die.
0: Right, right.
1: We can't, we can't forget it because that it, it was a huge part of history. I mean, I would again tell people go to the New League Museum if you've never been there. Yeah, um, if you ever get there, you will. You'll be there all day. It's not a huge facility, but you will be there all day. Um, so I think <laughs> I, I agree with so you. I think he's a slam dunk.
0: I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Like I said, I want to go one day, uh, hopefully soon, especially after talking to you. Uh, quick hellos to Leon and Jacob of the Step Back Podcast, the basketball podcast. We're at Basketball Life, and uh, or as I like to call them, two easy wins in the Basketball Life uh, fantasy Base basketball league that wow. we're in. Yeah, I said it. I said it. Oh Gun smoke. Uh, Henry wants to chime in and say that innovation does deserve recognition, and that's something – we're going to have to deal with it because there's the stats aren't there, but I mean, all the anecdotal evidence shows that these guys that we were just talking about made those contributions and, uh, oh, easy. and, and the domino effect that that created across all of baseball, uh, Sean, Alabama boy excited that we mentioned Talladega. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, he knew that the Sammy Soda reference was going to come in. Uh, he spelled it soda. I don't know if he meant Sosa. I don't know. Uh but um anyway, next guy up, Bud Fowler. Uh this is an interesting one. Uh 5'7, 155 pounder. And he's a local boy out of Cooperstown, New York,
1: huh? He well, he's only local because his dad he's he's got a fascinating story. First of all, no stats on this guy, none, zero. <laughs> Nothing. O- let me phrase it. Almost none. There's really you can't look at the stats for this guy, but his really fascinating story, his dad escaped slavery in 1859 and moved up to um New York. Cooperstown. And that's where he learned to play baseball. And again, we talk about Buck O'Neill with an award. They've got a plaque honoring they've got Bud Fowler Day in Cooperstown, Hall of Fame City. The street leading up to Doubleday Field is Bud Fowler Way. Or it's wow. Fowler Way. So again, he's got a street named after him on the complex. <laughs> he's got a plaque in Doubleday Stadium on the complex, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. His, his claim to fame, yeah, uh, I known African-American player in uh, professional major league baseball started playing at 14 years old in 1872. And again, I don't think the age matters or where it's just, he was the first guy. And again, like if, yeah. I'm saying saying it's, it's the first, a lot of firsts. And I think when you're the first, that that's got to hold some water yeah. because without him, is there any of these other guys, is there a Negro leagues? And is there any integration in 1937? I, who knows? Who knows? So he was kind of the guy that started it all. But, again, no real stats on this guy. Um, one thing interesting about this guy is he did not play with just one minor league team. He was, you know, 2021, you see a guy who's the best in the league, and you can argue whoever that might be. Let's just say it's Soto. Everybody wants him on their team. The Nats do not want to give him up. exact opposite for this guy back when he was playing is he was so good, he was better than a lot of the white players, and it pissed him off. So yeah. he had to go to another team. Imagine that. The guy yeah. is so good and your ego can't handle it. You'd rather lose your best player than continue to win.
2: Oh Lord.
1: So that this guy played all over the place in 1878 to 1895. So what is that? That's 17 years. He played with 12 different professional teams.
0: Yeah, you know, that's uh, that's amazing. That is really amazing. But so you get
1: uh, pushed out, you kind of get squeezed out because you're too good.
0: And then 100 years later, you get all these all these recognitions in your hometown, except for the one that counts the most. And that is
1: right. And again, the street named after he's got a plaque at the baseball stadium on the Hall of Fame complex. So go figure.
0: It's really absurd. The the hypocrisies and the and the double standards and the and just the 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 comical way that the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame kind of uh, presents itself on a year-to-year basis but I just you guys got to remember it's just a museum it's out there to make money if it doesn't make any money it, it doesn't know how to operate without it that's why the hall of fame is one of the most important days of the year for the museum because that's where they make all their money last guy on the list here grant home run johnson okay so when we talk about a guy from that uh olden days home run johnson let me
1: guess he hit like 18 home runs
0: and left the league or something right
1: yeah, well, a slugging percentage he maxed out at like 460 one year, but a lot of there's four or five different sources resources that show him his his slugging percentage is a career between 350 and 395. You know, so I mean, you know, that's Mick Kelleher stuff. Uh, <laughs> but again, that's that ball era back there with Home Run Baker, you know, the guy's right. in the '90s leading the league, <laughs> um, you're putting that guy fourth in your lineup. Um, but again, a lot of missing a lot of missing stats on this guy. Um, and a lot of them are from when he was in his 20s, which is probably, if we look at history, was probably when he was playing his best baseball in his 20s. Mm-hmm. So there's really not a lot of stats. You know, you look, there's four or five different resources out there that, that have him recorded anywhere between 250 and 366 games. Not a lot to go with there. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not real sure why he is on the list. I didn't find anything super noteworthy about this guy. He was during his career. Was he was part of 26 championship teams with help, which helps. Um, what kind of championships were they? Not real sure. Wow. Um, um, so again, in 39 percent of his games that they found, of, of newspaper articles and, and box scores and things like that, 39 percent of them were games he played in Cuba. <laughs> yeah, Cuba comes up. So it's yeah. it's at the time he was the guy. So when you look at, you, know, like you compare him to Homer and Baker, you compare him to those guys in the dead ball area, yeah, he had some power. It's really about it. Um, yeah, He was considered, I mean, by all accounts, he was considered one of the best black baseball players during that dead ball era. For whatever well, that's, worth.
0: That, that's why he's nominated. That's why he's yep. made the, he made the committee, uh, uh, the ballot for that uh, early baseball era committee, because uh, he was considered one of the greatest players of that dead ball era, but I mean, we're supposed to judge these guys based on the era that they played in. We can't, you know, right, uh, uh penalize them too harshly. But at the same right. time, we don't even know where all of his games are. And, and baseball reference has he no stats. He's even exactly.
1: complete on his report card.
0: <laughs> and there you have it 10 players. Hey, you guys have an opinion? Let us know who, which four players, maximum of that, of those 10 players we just listed, would you? Uh, vote for if you had the power that kind of power to induct these guys into the hall of fame uh let's let's talk about it some more in the comment section all right now we get to the golden days era that's gonna be probably a more popular uh era of baseball and i actually have a spreadsheet for that that i can share with everybody because i know how much everybody loves my spreadsheet so here we go (laughs) Let's, uh, let's see here. I made it all nice and colorful. Let me know if you could see it. It's uh, thinking, and there it goes. Uh, somehow Gaylord Perry's number one on the list from 1945 to 1985. A nice, what is that, a nice 40-year uh, sample size. Minimum 2,500 2, innings pitched. And there's the two guys in yellow, Jim Kite and Billy Pierce. Jim Kite, number 13 overall in terms of war, fan war. Uh, uh from 45 to 85 and then there's billy pierce at 26 so hey they're in that first pitch of that of that fan graphs leaderboard all right but uh, as you can see i have a color coordinator where red is good blue is bad um i know austin left us some uh, information about these guys so let's give him like i said austin could not make it due to uh off the field issue oh look at him <laughs> off the field issue Uh, let's uh, see what he has here. When kite was considered for a major league contract, he was offered a $4,000 signing bonus by the senators and a $25,000 bonus by the white Sox. His dad told him to take the senators deal. So he didn't become a bonus baby and be forced to play on a major league roster before, before he was ready. What the hell is this? Yeah, nowadays, it seems like these players want to be fast-tracked to the big leagues already, and uh, they sign the big bonuses, and they refuse to uh, sign for anything less than what they think is, is is rightfully theirs and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the big – the big, uh, what do you call it? The big claim to fame for this guy, 16 gold glove awards consecutive. Now, Dan, like I mentioned, you seem to know your thing about history of baseball. What do you think? Were, were they really uh, – Won by merit, or was it at yeah, some point I, just a popularity contest?
1: You know, we've all watched a lot of baseball. I watched a lot of baseball. It's, you can tell the bad the pitchers who can't feel their position. John Lester, like that <laughs> can't feel their position. But otherwise, I mean, you can make the player, you don't. And a lot of the times, the pitchers, if they make an error, it's a tough play, and it's tough to give them an error, right? Um, I think it's reputation. I think a lot of it was reputation uh with him I mean 16 is a lot and I don't I don't know if my personal opinion I don't know if a gold glove for a pitcher really means a lot yeah John Lester. I guess you could say he doesn't hurt himself but beyond that I don't know if it's but then again I'm sitting in my house doing a podcast I'm not in Major League Baseball so what do I know
0: <laughs> well you're a passionate fan Dan Butler you're a passionate <laughs> fan am. I am. Yeah, it wouldn't be doing the podcast if you didn't give two shits about the sport, right? So here go. we are. Because we don't know any other way to do this. Uh, let's see. Known for his consistency above average pitching and fast work on the mound. Um, but most of the season where he was below or league average were times when he was injured. So a little bit of an injury bug. But the guy played for a long time. I think he got that's, up to 20 and seasons.
1: And that's what it is. That's a guy that played till he was about 45. I think a lo- he's got some counting stats that are... I mean he's got 280 some odd wins. And he pitched for 26 years, 25 years.
0: Oh oops. There it is. Wins. Yeah, uh
1: 266. I mean, he pitched for a long time.
0: I mean, he pitched until 1983, man. My favorite year of all time. Eighty so <laughs> three.
1: It was the start of my senior year of high school.
0: Oh my lord. Uh, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I, I, I was in uh, I, I was born in, I was born in a hospital in Texas at that time. Yeah. You know, while you were trying to go through prom and graduation in high school, I was just getting into this world, man. Ain't that crazy? Now we're now we're in the Baseball Live Facebook group. Here we are. Yeah, we are. I I just I think
1: just, you know, he gets a lot of love for the Hall of Fame every year and he should be in or he shouldn't be in. I, I just see a guy who was good for 26 years or however long he was playing, 25 years. Was he great? I don't I don't know if he was great.
0: Well, he has the he has the counting stats. I mean, that's basically the the argument that people make about Jimmy Moyer. I mean, there is no argument for Jimmy Moyer, but you can make an argument for Jimmy Moyer just based on the fact that he played for Correct. forever, padded those counting stats. But if you look at the great stats, three forty one uh, ERA, it, it looks low, but compared to everybody else on this list who got to twenty five hundred innings, it's not a very impressive. A 92 ERA minus, which, you know, if anything below 100 is is above average, according to Fangraphs. But 92 is pretty darn close to that 100 threshold. A 1.25 whip, that no matter what era you're in, that's not impressing anybody. 339 FIP, uh, 90 FIP minus, again, anything below 100 is above uh, average. But still, you're only 10% better than the rest of your league mates. But here it is, 70.3 war, wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. And that is a counting stat, that is a pass stat, that is a durability stat. And that is why Kite continues to get um, uh, consideration for induction into the Hall of Fame. Uh, anything else that – what's his face left here? Tab to battle Sandy, Koufax three times in the 65 World Series. What was it? The Twins and the Dodgers, 65 World Series? You don't remember? Okay. <laughs> uh,
1: I, was, I was born in 1965.
0: Oh, so you wouldn't know. You were, you were just uh, uh, I, was probably, you know, I was
1: probably born – I was probably born right in the middle of that World Series, October 12th, so probably right in the middle of that World Series.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I don't
1: remember anything.
0: I tell you, this guy's full of history, man. He, he He's lived it. He's lived it. That's why I bring out, bring, bring him over. Uh, he was a, uh, briefly the pitching coach for the Phillies under Pete Rose and left the job to pursue a broadcasting career, which, oh, he got in Oops. trouble
1: this year. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> you know, I guess one thing I would look at this, you know, Felipe, is, is you know, I obviously watch him pitch a lot. He's not like, and I'll bring up Clemens or Scherzer or Kershaw or some of these guys who are Hall of Famers or should be. He did. He, I never thought when when he was pitching, you're like, uh oh, here we go. Good luck. <laughs> you never thought that. You knew you were going to be in the game. You knew you had a shot to win. You knew he was probably going to win and not give up a ton of runs. But he didn't really dominate. He didn't, I guess, scare anybody. And that's you know, that's kind of a kind of what I look at is. Well, if he wasn't that dominating and really didn't scare other teams, one of the best ever.
0: Well, you know what it is? You know how, how I picture him? Like the more I, you know, talk about him and dig through his stats and all that, he was basically Kevin Tappany in the ninth for the 1998 Chicago Cubs. Yeah. That's how I imagine it. But Tappany, I think he was with the Twins when they won the World Series, right? In 90, yeah. 90,
1: 91. Yeah, he was okay. In 87, I
0: believe. Anyway. Well, that's Jim Kite. Let's move on to Billy Pierce. Uh, yeah, Jim Kite currently, I'm um, a broadcaster. So when he's not putting his foot in his mouth, he uh, does a decent job. As far
1: as Billy... we know, he's still a broadcaster,
0: <laughs> I, I believe he still is. Uh, Billy Pierce started playing organized baseball at age 15. I mean, we are just talking about, what was it, Bo- of Bud Fowler? Yep. Uh, yep
1: am he I... started at 14.
0: Okay, uh, so he started. Uh, I'm sorry, Pierce started at age 15 and then was signed uh, to the Tigers at 18 years old. Uh, let's see, played for the Tigers in 45, 1945. So, 1945, the Tigers and Cubs facing the World Series. Uh, but as soon as the veterans came back from the war, he was sent back to the minors. So, I don't maybe he didn't play. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, there's yeah, I, I, yeah, he was only there for a, a real short cup of coffee there Great. for the Tigers. Uh, after a back Yellman set him back, he was traded to the Chicago White Sox in 1949. Um, ERA was awful, but he always had a quick fastball. Uh, he But he did lack control when he started out with the White Sox. What else? Former teammate Paul Richards became the White Sox manager, adjusted his windup, convinced him to throw a slider. And after that, his career changed for the better uh, and his control and slider improved all the way up to 1952, three straight seasons of leading the league in complete games, so a real dark, uh, durable workhorse type of pitcher. Um, but here's the controversy. In the 1959 World Series, Billy Pierce, I mean, at this point, according to Austin, he was one of the more important uh, starting pitchers of the Chicago White Sox, uh, suddenly did not appear in any games in the World Series, and we found out was because Al Lopez, the manager at that time, did not believe he was fully healed from a hip injury. And then after that, it was all downhill from there. And eventually he would get traded to the Giants. I think he played in this in the World Series that the Giants appeared against the Yankees in the 60s. I think it was 63 or 62. And that was his career. So if you look at the numbers, uh Dan Butler, I mean it's a lot of blue, more blue than Jim Kite. Uh better ERA though, better little bit better rate stats, but not overwhelmingly better. And the big number here, 51.4 war. I mean, that's respectable. I'm sorry, 52.9 war. Respectable, but I don't know. What do you think about his uh, stat line that you see here?
1: No, because you, know, you look at his average season, 14 11, 327. Nothing wrong with that. Even then, even then or now, there's nothing wrong with that. But is that Hall of Fame? I mean, he had what, one two two twenty win seasons? Um, You know, I'm not going to go with losses because not that wins and losses are the end-all, be-all, but back then they were a little more important because guys were going seven and a half, you know, eight, nine innings. So wins did mean something back then. Uh, Again, a guy was an all-star, what, two, four, six, seven, eight times. Top ten, top five, uh, or top three Cy Young one year, top ten MVP twice. I mean, he's got some things in there, but... Again, when you look at the numbers you've got here, and just his overall career, nothing screams dominant. Yeah, you know, he didn't even have like a three-year run where he was just the absolute best pitcher in the league without question. Where you yeah, I mean, at and say yeah, you know, he had a run for four or five years where he was the guy, nobody yeah. could hit it, he got everybody out, but he really didn't have that. He had a couple good years, but that's it.
0: Yeah, I mean, does the the really county pitcher. The county stats don't show it. I mean, it, th- it only reached a 3,192 innings pitch during this time span. Um, and so that's on the lower side, of things compared to Jim Kai, who went over 4,000 innings. I mean, oh, it's just a difference of a 1,000 innings, but it it, it matters big. Uh, sure and, and the race stats are okay, but not overwhelming. Like, oh, my God, you got to get this guy in the Hall of Fame. The only saving grace for him is the war, which is over 50. I mean, if you get over 50, you... Now people start considering you. More People start asking, hey, why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? But upon digging a little deeper, it seemed like he was more of a flash of a pan guy, which really sucks to say because he was a very integral part of that Chicago White Sox team. Yeah. Let's move on to the hitters now. And this one, I am going to have a difficult time trying to fit all these numbers in. But there they are in all its glory. Uh, let's see. You know what? I see Dick Allen. But let's start backwards, Dan, because I'm, I'm a masochist as well as Mexican. <laughs> Uh, top 100 players from the for- 1943 to 1983 season. So that's another 40-year, um, what do you call it, sample size minimum. 5,500 plate appearances. And I had to drop it to 5,500 plate appearances because of Roger Maris. And minimum fan graphs war of 34.9. Now, Dan Butler, you may or may not be an advanced statistic guru, but I believe even you know that a 34.9 fan war isn't going to cut the mustard now, is it?
1: Nope, it is not. Absolutely, is not. And you know, I think Maury Wills. You know, I did a little comparison to you know, because again, the guy was he wasn't a one trick pony, the guy could hit, didn't take a ton of walks, didn't strike out a lot once, a couple of gold gloves. But let's be honest, he's he's known for the stolen bases.
0: There it is. Yep, right if there. You,
1: you know, and it's funny because it's the first time I see this list, compare him to the guy right above him because if Ma- Maury Wills is getting in, the guy right above him is getting in because he was a better hitter a better on base, similar stolen bases. Again, if we're talking, if we're not talking the advanced stuff, we're talking just counting stuff. Yeah, now Lopes played a lot longer. I get it. But I mean, I, 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 I don't think stolen bases alone is enough to get him in. And that's it's, really, that's kind of what he is. He's stolen I, bases.
0: I believe I make this uh, argument every single time I talk about the Hall of Fame. How come home runs are more important than stolen bases when you see it nowadays, fans complaining about today's game. No one takes chances on the base paths. No one can steal bases. No one's allowed to steal bases. These managers are too conservative, and all they do is play for the home run ball. Well, the reason they've only played for the home run ball is because no one cares about stolen bases as it pertains to the uh, Hall of Fame. I mean, Maury Wills is one of the better stolen base guys, sure not just from a county stats perspective, but from an advanced analytics perspective with the weighted stolen base of 41.8. That's top tier on this list of 100 players. And it's still not good enough because the other thing you see is a sea of blue here, low on base, low slugging, low ops, low WOBA, low WRC plus below hundred. So for hitters, anything below hundred is below league average. So he's 9% worse than league average. And the war is not the wins above replacement. According to Fangraphs, it's not going to save him either. So the one saving grace is the stolen bases. Now it just depends who's voting. If those voters love stolen bases, then there's a good chance Maury Wills gets in. If they don't, uh, better luck next year, I guess. What is that a safe assessment, or am I being too harsh here? What do you think? No,
1: I, I think you're. I think you're dead on. I mean, I look at a current guy now. He's not nearly as good as Maury wills, but got to get a lot of his D Gordon. Everybody <laughs> wants him to be leading off. You want a 290 on base lead. Not have to <laughs> steal 80 bases a year. If he gets on 80 times, yeah, he will steal 80 bases. He's got to get there first. Um, that's why I don't know that stolen bases is the end all be all. Yeah, home runs are, but you know, without looking at the numbers, I'm guessing a lot of the guys who hit homers also have a lot of doubles, also have a lot of RBIs, also have a lot of runs. They've got a lot of other things as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, with great power comes great uh, run production is what Spider-Man used to teach me. Roger Maris now. Now, this is an intriguing guy, right? I mean, this is the home run season leader at one point for about, what, 30, 40 years before yeah. everybody started injecting themselves with stuff that they probably shouldn't have been injecting themselves with. Roger Maris, though, took advantage of, uh, of an expansion a uh, couple of years back in the 60s, a short portion left, uh, I'm sorry, in a short portion right field, and was able to be a little bit more durable than Mickey Mantle, who was also primed to have that record broken and be the next in line to pass Babe Ruth in the single season home run record. Instead, it was Roger Maris, uh, Guy was he from North Dakota, right? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I got Austin stuff here. So let's get to it. Do you have Austin's notes on your end as well or no? I do, yes. You want to take over for me while I drink some water? Uh, Read up a little bit about Roger Maris for the kids out there.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So he had 14 homers when he was a rookie uh, with the Indians, and he got traded to the the A's midseason that year. Uh, He was an all-star in 1959, and they immediately, um, like you see now, he was immediately traded over to the Yankees, and obviously that's when he kind of, like Felipe said, kind of took off. Um, following year, first year over there with the Yankees, he led the league in RBI, slug and extra base hits, second in homers, Um, uh, missed 17 games. So I, which is really not that bad, but, uh, missed 17 games. He still had the league in a lot of those numbers. Um, his salary rose, uh, uh to an enormous $200 a month, but he ended up signing a $300. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If that's the wrong one. I'm reading the wrong one. Uh, he did in the 60 world series. He got a gold theory. He, he had a couple of homers in the 60 world series. Um, obviously a lot of scrutiny with that home run battle. Um, a lot of scrutiny there and he still managed to get through it. Um, and not just for battling Babe Ruth, he was also battling his own teammate. So, you know, he held up under all of that. You know, the the one thing that I can see in, in Austin references here, 63 and 65, he had some injuries. Um, Every, and that's one thing I look at his numbers is he didn't have a lot of full seasons. And to me, I think that's kind of what is hurting him. Now he did play in seven world series, uh, which at that time was the most. Um, he died. He passed away in 67. Um, wow. So he was young. Wow! But when you look at his numbers though, I just, you see a guy who looks like he struggled to stay healthy.
0: Uh, no, he retired in 67, died of cancer in 85.
1: I'm sorry, I misread that. You're right. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah I
1: misread that. I
0: mean, but you mentioned it. Uh, Riddle with Injuries, there's a reason why I had to drop it to 5,500 plate appearances, was because of Roger Maris. I had to account for his 5,800 at bat or plate appearances uh, compared to a guy like Maury Wills, who's well over 8,000 at this point. So, so that's one disadvantage. So it shows up on the hits, only 1,300 hits. So that's.
1: So only he, that whole career he had 275 homers so he played 12 years hit 275 homers and in one season he hit 25 percent of his homers in one year
0: <laughs> yeah like I, mean, like I said man he took advantage he, of an expansion, uh, expansion Yeah, you
1: did, he, i mean the guy did it he, you know yeah, he, the guy yeah. did he put the numbers up but total body of work I, I, i'd say no
0: I mean, it's a lot of blue here. It's more blue than Maury Wills. And Maury Wills, about 476 slugging percentage, but that's something to be bragging about. I mean, uh, but yeah. And, and if it sounds like we're being dismissive or being too harsh, I mean, it's the Hall of Fame. I mean, we got... I, 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 Dan, I feel like I'm very lenient towards these guys. I want to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. But now you got nothing to show me here. At least Maury Wills, you can say, oh, well, stolen bases. Okay. I mean, if stolen bases is such a sure. valued commodity then yeah, put him in the Hall of Fame.
1: I would agree. But Roger, and Roger Maris Maris is in there. Sorry, Maris is in there. You know, his, his home run chase, his home run record, he's in there. He His bust isn't in there, but he's, he's part of baseball history. So he is – his his achievement is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair.
0: Yeah, that's a nice compromise for him and his family. I mean, not, not to be disrespectful, but, I mean, it's, it's a hard sell, man. It, it, there's really nothing to go off of that except for that one year where he – where he broke the home run record for the single season. Uh, Tony Oliva is next. And this is a real tragedy here, as uh, it seems like every time I was reading about the Austin's notes, it seemed like it was one mishap after another known as one of the best all around Latin hitters in baseball history. Uh, Let me fix this for you. All right. Now we start over Uh, one rookie of the year in 1964 had weak knees though, throughout his career, even with the DH, he couldn't extend his career. He changed his name to Tony. Uh, His real name is Pedro, but he changed it to Tony. Uh, something about some birth certificate issues, uh, defected from Cuba. We just talked about Cuba. Uh, So who was the player? Was it, um, help me out. Who was the player we were talking about in the Negro Leagues who was told that he should go to Cuba and then come back as a Latino player?
1: Oh, that was John Donaldson.
0: Yeah, John Donaldson. Well, yeah. see, John Donaldson, had he known that Cuba would become a communist country and then where the players had to defect, maybe he would have taken John McGraw on that offer, but now we don't know. <laughs> tried out for the twins and went 7 for 10 in five intersquat games and uh but he was sent home because he was a very poor fielder um uh had trouble getting into the team because of racial profiling so even even during the the golden era right even after this is post integration there's still a lot of uh racist overtones with major league baseball teams uh as as you may or may not know Dan uh, I'm pretty sure you do know, but it's, it's the most the more racist teams that were out there back in the day were the teams from the north that were oh, yeah. I mean the Yankees. I mean what they they had Elston Howard and that was their token black guy. And
1: Clark Griffith, Clark Griffith was terrible.
0: Yeah, Clark Griffin with the Washington Senators and then he moved them to the Minnesota Twins. But yeah, yeah he, he made su- he made sure that that he was uh that he was uh, uh appealing to a certain uh demographic, right. if you will, or race, yeah. If you want to be blunt about it, sure. The you Cubs the Chicago Cubs also took forever. I mean, imagine being a Cubs fan. You're seeing the Brooklyn Dodgers just get into every, – win every single pennant every year. And your team continues to struggle because you refuse to even scout back uh, black players. So thank God for Buck O'Neill. Otherwise, we'd be really miserable as Cub fans. So, um, there you go. Yeah. So there's no curse. It's just bad management.
1: <laughs> what I've always said.
0: Thank you. I was, yeah, that's why I have you on the show, man. Eye to eye. It's,
1: it's, it's, yeah. It's a poorly run organization for many, many years.
0: Yeah. But uh, let's see. Is that it? Uh, yeah. There was a lot of, uh, he, he mentioned that the, the racial overtones uh, back then players, uh, teams were only a lot. Uh, they put a self-imposed limit on the number of dark skin players that each team would have. Uh, it was legendary scout, Joe Cambria. Who saved the Leva's career along with the other players? Say, hey, get this. You got to get this guy. If you want to win, you got to get Tony Leva on your team. And and uh, he did. He did help the Twins win, not championships, but he made them a, a prominent team.
1: You know what's inter- interesting in a bad way about what you just said is they had a limit on the number of dark skinned players.
0: Yeah. So, what awesome the hell does that,
1: what, what does that mean?
0: Well, it means that you would I mean, make I, know, a team I know what it means over me. So,
1: <laughs> it's, it, I know what it means, but I mean, it's dark skinned why don't you say what you want to say you know don't don't use dark skin just say what it is say what you want to say um because we all know what it means
0: yeah you think that brown people are inferior to your white complex and and not to bash you too hard i know you're 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 from the south and you're you're also uh you know of that fair skin color as people would say i'm
1: actually no. i'm actually from up that part of the world. I grew up up in Northwest Indiana. So I'm
0: that's right. You went to Purdue. I'm a that's southerner
1: right. by by, uh, by transfer.
0: Oh, but you know what? Indiana though. Indiana scares me. You know that's one of the hotbeds of the Ku Klux Klan. Dan Butler. I that's why I found a, that. I, one. I,
1: had, I had nothing to do with
0: that. <laughs> Well, hey, it sounds like you that were, you were kind of shocked to hear that, anyway. So maybe it's not as bad as you. No, I, I remember seeing this documentary, probably on the History Channel, and and I grew up in Chicago, right? Imagine me being a Mexican kid finding out about the Ku Klux Klan being right not in on the next state over. I'm like, oh, screw that! And to this day, to this day, I don't like going into tour. I don't like driving through Indiana. So, uh, Maury wills not 92nd on the list in terms of war. Roger Maris, 88th. Oliva, 73rd. But again, as you see, Dan, lots of blue, blue huish color. color. Uh, 304 batting average. That's something. 830, yep. 830 outs, which is higher than Roger Maris. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. Do you see any adhering qualities for Tony Oliva as we yep, move on? I do. Okay.
1: I do. Five times top 10 MVP. Mm. Three times out of those, he was top five. Again, that, that's saying something. You talk about being the best when you played. Um, eight time all-star led the league in uh, hitting three times, three batting titles, led the league in hits five times. I, I would, I, I say yes on him, but he's, he's most definitely a borderline guy. Yeah. Simply because of longevity and durability. He did not have a lot of either. Yeah. Had he done that? And I did the math. Um, you know, his average 162 game season was 185 hits, I believe. Multiply that by the 15 years he played, he's right at about 2,800, 2,900 hits. He's in automatically there.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, and then even
1: if, he's, even if he gets 2,500 hits, he's in automatically. I mean, this guy, all he did was hit. He's just one of these guys. All he did was hit. And so he was a great fielder.
0: And he helped yeah. the Twins uh, make yep. it to the World Series. I mean, he they didn't win it, but. He made them relevant for a little bit in the '60s. So, and I I guess I should point out that yeah, first basemen do get penalized by WAR because hey, you're a first baseman. Anyone can play the 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 position, right? And then Ron Washington will show up out of nowhere and say it's a very difficult sport, uh, difficult position to play. Ask Gil Hodges. Is he next on the list? Yes, Gil Hodges is next on the list. It just kind of worked out that way. You Uh want to you want to read up? 67th on the list of 100. Do you want to read about Gil Hodges over there?
1: Yeah, yeah let me roll up. So, obviously, I think a lot of people if, if, who know the history of the game, he was a gentle giant. He was a true gentleman on the field, which, you know, we don't. I don't know if that matters, uh, but it, it probably should a little bit. Um, Princeton guy. He was born in Princeton, played four sports in high school, which I think, you know, we, we see, a lot, we'll probably see a We probably see we a lot of that with a lot of these guys, multi-sport guys. Um He was very reserved Uh, during the 69 season. uh, He didn't think Leon Jones was hustling enough. So instead of signaling for him to come in, he walked all the way out to left field to bring him back to the dugout and take him out of the game when he was a manager. Um, We've seen Billy Martin kind of did that once. He didn't walk out to get him, but he pulled Reggie out. Um, So we've seen that before. Um, One of the first managers to stick with the platoon system so I'm sure he's probably getting some wrath from some folks now because there's a lot of folks that don't like that. Um, 370 career homers, most by left a left-handed hitter from 1960 to 1963. Um, again, that's something. Yeah, that's you talk about the best of your era at the time. Uh, he won three gold gloves at first base. Um, he got a good career. He had a decent career. Um, but you know, like you said, you and I talked beforehand. My only argument to this is if Gil Hodges is in, uh, compare his numbers to Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, I mean they're the same. And Rizzo's are actually a little bit better. So I mean, I, Rizzo's not a Hall of Famer in my mind. Oh Trump man, favor. he's a Cub oh. Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he, he's yeah. a statue. Yeah, he's a statue guy, but he's not a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <Statue> so. <guy. laughs> That that's what I use as my is my measuring stick is uh-huh. he's the same exact hitter as Rizzo just not quite as much power uh-huh. so I don't I don't think he gets in
0: um what was I gonna say uh am I reading this right was he only forty seven years old when Gil Hodges died no way that doesn't that doesn't sound right uh, I'm looking at the baseball reference page and it says that he died at age forty seven but no that doesn't look right oh my god wow he died very young uh well, young. i mean that's what happens when you manage the mets they'll they'll, they'll they'll accelerate your lifespan uh you can tell him that he's a gentle giant he's 6'1 200 pounds so yeah it's a different era back then right just a different time because I, mean, I thought he was like a matt olsen type of player but maybe the 6'1 was the 6'4 back then i don't know But looking at the numbers, yeah, the home runs are there a little bit, borderline, 370. But obviously, you know, you think about first baseman, you think more home runs. Then again, then again, this is a different era. This is a different era of baseball. So and just to put it in perspective, how many home runs did he hit? 370 home runs in a 40-year time span. That puts him at 23rd overall there, Dan. 23rd overall in home runs for that 40-year time span so maybe uh and it's a, it's a list of 100 players too as well so so maybe there's something to be said about that about his uh progress
1: i think there's merit there and i think that merit, there's merit for discussion but i just think ultimately he's in the hall as we talk about he's in the hall of really good players but i'm not sure if he belongs in the hall of fame because yeah. if you look at those players he's around you know, take out Lou Brock, but I mean, you know, guys like Fergosi and Boog Powell and, and Foster and, and Roy White, Thurman Munson, those guys were all really good players, but they're not Hall of Famers.
0: Yeah, yeah, and again, i uh, like to point out once again, first baseman Duke get penalized uh, pretty severely sometimes with the war number, but still, a lot of the other stuff, uh, the, the, uh, the WRC Plus and the uh, other figures, uh, they just don't favor him too highly. But uh, I don't know. Maybe when they, when they finally induct every single player on the earth in the Hall of Fame uh, needs some players to induct, maybe they'll eventually induct Gil Hodges because of that. I mean, he was a very prominent player for the Brooklyn Dodgers all those
1: years, though. But, I mean, keep going up that list. I know we're not we don't want to waste time. But, I mean, all those guys above him were all really good players, just yeah. not – probably not Hall of Famers except for Beta Pinson, but that's another argument for another day.
0: Well, we finally reached the 50-war mark. This is around the time, Dan. We see that 50-war mark. And now you start wondering, is this good enough? Is the good enough? Uh, does the war match the eye test or whatever to get you into the Hall of Fame? And now we get to Mini Minoso, uh, another Cuban player. But before we get to his numbers, let's get to the anecdotes that Austin was nice enough to provide for us. If my laptop wants to cooperate just one time, one time, one time. Let's go. So Mini Minoso, uh, do you happen to know what his real name was?
1: Orestes?
0: Oh, yeah, of course, it's, he's Cuban. They always have the weird names. <laughs> uh, he was a catcher uh, in his, as a teenager, and then his mom told him, you know, he got hurt uh, feeling the position, and his mom told him, no. Like, you know, kind of like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. Mom says, yeah, you're not playing catcher anymore. You're playing some other position. So he was able to convince a, a local Havana uh, manager of a baseball team to let him play, and he told me, I can pitch, I can catch. Uh, many men also noticed that there was a third baseman who was struggling to play third base. And he goes very, very wryly. He goes, I can also play third base if you need me to. So it, it's, it, who's a famous catcher who converted to uh, become a third baseman. I feel like was it Russell Martin, one of those guys.
1: Uh, y- yeah. Later in his career, I know Wilson Contreras sure. converted the other way from third base to catcher.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh uh, yeah. So yeah. So there's some, there's some connection between the two positions. Um, let's see. What else did he have here? Uh, he can pitch. Okay. Uh, you, you talked about guys making $50,000 if they, if they go from Cuba to America, Manny Manoso, $2 a game is what he was playing for back in Cuba and $8 a week, uh, working in the garage, uh, to make ends meet. So yeah, different times back My gosh. Uh, you want to read the rest of that spiel there that Austin gave? Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh,
1: he obviously, um. Rose through the ranks, earned $150 a month uh, contract with the pre Winter League team in Havana. Uh, His salary rose to $200 a month, a whopping $200, as I said earlier. Uh, He ended up signing a $300 a month contract to play for the New York Cubans in the Negro Leagues. So he got a a 50% raise for going to the Negro Leagues. Um, He obviously did well in the Negro Leagues. He was signed to the Indians. Um, No room for him in a major league lineup, so they traded him to the White Sox. Homer did his first at-bat for the White Sox. Old Kibbisky Park too, so that's a I would assume Old Kibbisky Park. Yeah, um, he just split time between third base and left field, so he was a he was a multi position guy before it became real popular. Sox fans loved him for his speed and his hustle. And that I know. Um, my dad was a big Mini Minoso fan, huge yeah. Minnie Minoso. That was a White he, Sox fan. Oh, huge White Sox, diehard White Sox fan. He was, he was
0: a hard die yeah, Sox fan. Okay,
1: yeah, he uh, uh, you know hop on trains and take a trip to Sox Park and. you know, Back then, you could climb under the fence and that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, but the guy had a lot of speed, stolen bases, uh, crowded the plate a lot, so he got hit by a lot of pitches, led the league ten times of getting hit by pitches. Again, that's something. That's getting on base. That's doing what you need to do to get on base to help your team score runs. Absurd. You know, that can't be lost. <laughs> um, came back 50 years old, obviously, 1976. Bill Beck, uh, the master, Carney. Uh, brought him back in age 50 and then another two games in 1980 when he was 54 so he could play well, when they gave him like six six decades i believe
0: was, it's not five five he wrote it down
1: 40, 50, oh there it is yeah hello. yeah um and then he coached the white Sox, and he played in five different decades so that's a lot of good stuff but look at his numbers too this is a guy whose numbers back it up
0: yeah. I mean, he's not a threshold according to the war figures. And as well, I mean, there's a little bit more red than the other players we just mentioned. So let's talk about it really quick. As we're getting to that point, I mean, 205 stolen bases is a healthy amount of stolen bases. Uh, the advanced stats say that they weren't very efficient stolen bases, but if you're a counting stats fan, I mean, 205 stolen bases, I mean, he's in the red. He, I mean, the red is good. And these yeah. blue is bad. Red is good. But, uh, Really good uh, plate approach at 1.39 uh, walk per strikeout ratio. As you may or may not know, I'm a big fan of walk per strikeout ratio. Uh, the triple slash line is healthy as can be. This is the, probably the highest we've seen so far on this list. Uh, 848 ops, uh, 382 Woba, 133 WRC plus. So those wondering what a 133 WRC plus is, that means he was 33% better than, the, than his league peers during the 40 year stretch here that we have going. Uh, and then the big magical number 50.8. As you can see, it's not neither blue nor red, it's somewhere in between, so in, it's in that threshold. He's come close before, he's been considered before. Uh, Jerry Reinstorf is uh, he still pulls strings every once in a while, uh, in Major League Baseball. So maybe this is the year that they get him in. I just know that when he died very tragically, uh, uh I think he died almost at the same time that Ernie Banks died. Um, and I was floored to find out that he was not in the Hall of Fame yet. And uh, yeah. it was uh, pretty sad. And Austin wrote down that he that he that the crowd loved him for his speed and hustle, and he was a beloved uh player to the day that he died. Uh, before yeah. I move on, anything else you gotta add about Minnie Minoso? Yeah,
1: just uh so just looking a little bit deeper. I mean, again, the guy was 13 times he was an all-star 13 times.
2: No, oh, Got three
1: gold gloves again. Uh when we talk about MVP, he was in the top 10 four different times again, big deal, and one of those years he was second in Rookie of the Year, so I mean, that had some good seasons. Bill James, who was kind of the start of all this, uh, the advanced stats, advanced metrics sort of thing, he ranked many Minoso as the best left fielder of all time, ahead of 12 current Hall of Famers. Billy Williams, uh, Lou Brock, Frank Clark, Joe Medwick, so I mean, you know, Bill James is a respected, I don't know if I want to call him an authority, but he's a respected voice, I think, in the game when it comes to to the uh, statistical analysis side of things, and he's got as the 10th best left fielder of all time. Not wow. just a, a period, but, I mean, again, think, yeah, think about every left fielders ever played. He's the 10th best of all time.
0: That's saying a lot. Yeah, got... That's saying a
1: lot. And, again, somebody like that saying that, and then when you look at some of these other stats, you know, he was an all-star often, one gold glove. He was in the running for MVP four different times, almost got rookie of the year. That guy's in.
0: Yeah. So I want to say a quick hello to Austin who appreciates us reading his stories. Now we appreciate you Austin for giving us your stories and uh, giving us something to chew on besides the numbers here. Corey Richmond, good friend of mine uh, also appearing on the podcast as a spectator. Thank you guys for joining us this evening. We're reaching that point, Dan going to try to see if we could speed things up a little bit. Uh, Ken Boyer, uh and the only Cardinal not not to be in the Hall of Fame, but have his number retired by his team. Uh, You talked about it, the the statue guys, right, for the Cubs? Uh, I guess this would be the jersey guys for the Mm -hmm. Cardinals. Uh, When I was looking up Ken Boyer and the way people were describing him, I I got a lot of Scott Rowland vibes, and then I saw the numbers, and I thought to myself, maybe not necessarily Scott Rowland, but yeah, solid third baseman. Uh, I found out through uh, Austin's notes that he is the brother of Cleet Boyer, Mm -hmm. Uh, I did not know that they were brothers. Uh, Cleet was a very prominent figure as well in those in that Yankees uh, book called Dynasty by Peter Goldenbach. So Allie Reynolds, Roger Maris, Cleet Boyer, they, they, they were all in that book. Um, he was the last Cardinal to hold the captaincy of the team. Um, I, I guess, what not Yadier Molina a captain or is he just a captain by name only and not really official? I don't know. People keep telling me how good he is uh, as a leader. What do you think about Yadier Molina as a Cub fan over there?
1: Probably one of the best ever. Yeah, right. Probably one of the best ever. And in and any cup fan who says they they wouldn't want him on our team.
0: Oh we uh, cuff fans would adore him if you were on the on he's
1: he's he's like Dennis Rodman. You hate him on the other team but you love him when he's on your team.
0: <laughs> and Yaddy Merlin as you know he's bad when he wants to be right yeah. uh let's see uh Boyer debuted in 1955. Uh he got better and then got the MVP in 64 and the Cardinals, I think they won the world series that year. And then he started declining as he writes down retired with the third highest slugging percentage among third basemen. that has to count for something, right? I mean, he's only behind yeah. Eddie Matthews Absolutely. and Ron Sano. Yeah. And of course we all know that Eddie Matthews was a slam dunk uh, selection, but Ron Sano took forever. And now Ken Boyer is also being taken for a ride here. So it's just, if you want to be in the hall of fame, do not play third base. Is the lesson you guys have to learn here yeah. the, the, the disrespect? Five gold gloves, uh, spent some time coaching in the minors and died of lung cancer in '82. So, yeah, oh my god, these guys are just right. Well, who was that guy who died in '85? Maris, also former Cardinal, right? Yep, and then uh, this guy right here, too, Ken Boyer, died in '82. Jesus, man. Was originally drafted as a pitcher, but was switched to third base. Uh, didn't we, the Cubs have a guy in Jim Bollinger who was a third baseman and got switched to being a pitcher?
1: Shortstop, I believe.
0: Ah, that makes more sense. It might yeah. have
1: been a shortstop.
0: Ah, thank you for that. See, I can count on you to correct me on those. <laughs> uh, Army veteran. I, I'm pretty sure Austin appreciates that. Uh, uh, as you may or may I know, Austin's dad was a military personnel and Ken Boyer, an Army veteran from 51, 53. So that was probably the Korean War. So we talk a lot about Ted Williams the, and his myth, lot, uh, his myth about. Um, going to Korea and, and, and shooting down airplanes and stuff. Well, Ken Boyer's is no slouch either. He also went to Korea. And you know what? I mean, Dan, would you go and, 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 and say that him going to battle probably affected his Hall of Fame resume a little bit here?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're away from the game for that long. And, yeah, I mean, it has to. It, it absolutely has to because you miss a lot of games.
0: Oh man, that sucks. That really sucks. I mean, we, we gotta it be. Does. Uh I got a question for you. Al Downing, is that the guy who gave up the home run to Henry Aaron?
1: Yep.
0: Okay, well, Ken Boyer got a home a grand slam in the 64 World Series off Yankees pitcher Al Downing. So Big instrument. let's see the numbers here so 2100 hits that's uh that's in the red 282 home runs We they just talked about the slugging percentage being up there so that has to count for something rvi is is in a little shade of red so that's good 105 stolen bases for a for our third baseman. i mean jesus 287 yeah. uh, average i mean but as you can see some of these numbers start petering out and the 54.8 war uh it's healthy but it's healthy enough in your view Okay, just like that, flat out no. Uh, well, no, I
1: just I, again, I think this is another guy who is, of course, similar to Sano. Yeah, so oh, my, I, could be You know, very similar to Sano. So I suppose, and I think that's what the Hall of Fame has kind of gotten all of us, I think, to talk about it, kind of get into that trap of, well, this guy made it, so this, so my guy needs to make it because. He's the same. And again, that's great. That's a good, healthy debate. That's what baseball, that's what makes baseball great. Um, But as we start doing that, that line keeps getting pushed out a little bit further and a little bit further. Cause you could say, well, Santo made it. "Eh, Boyer's not quite as good, but he's pretty close. Yeah, let's put him in. And then, you know, we keep backing that, that boundary up um, or pushing it out further, I should say. So, I mean, you know, as a comparison to Santo, yeah, he's he's pretty close to Santo. So based on that alone, I would say yes. Um, but when you look at his numbers overall, he's in the hall of really good.
0: Uh, well, the one thing that is a disadvantage here is that, I mean, Ken Boyer, I mean, you talk about 64, that's a pitching heavy era right there. So yeah, he does suffer because of that. Um, but when you compare it to the rest of the his peers over that 40-year span, it's a tough sell as well. But there's a lot to like here with Ken Boyer. So let's move on. Uh, I think this is the last guy in, on the list. Dick Allen, um, for many, 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 many years was probably one of the most criminally underrated, uh, baseball players of all time. Uh, just an a shame that he was not in the hall of fame. And if you want to do me a favor, go ahead and uh, read Austin's notes. If you have it up there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So
1: Allen. he obviously he, he was known for swinging a heavy bat. He had a 44 ounce bat, um, <clears throat> McGuire swung a 35-ounce bat and very Bounce swung a 32-ounce bat. Different era. Different, yeah. other, different other things. Um, <laughs> he came with the Phillies where he encountered a lot of racism and mistreatment off the field. I'll tell you a real quick side note. I don't know if you've read. There's a book out there, um, 10 Innings at Wrigley. Mm. It was a 23 or 22 game.
0: Oh. Um,
1: oh, yeah.
0: the, the crazy Mike Schmidt game where he – Yeah, the-
1: it's, it's a great book because it, it's, you know, Every other chapter is one chapter is about the game and then the next chapter talks about a player. And there was a chapter in there about uh, Dick Allen and, uh, uh, you know, so talking about this next where we talked about um, encountering a lot of racism and mistreatment off the field. That's a guy, you know, we we often use the word misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I think that's a guy who was because he wasn't a real loud guy.
0: Yeah.
1: He's the guy who showed up and wanted to play. Um you know, as Austin says right there, you know, he had a lot of criticism because he did strike out. He did have some errors at third base. He eventually moved to first. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had, you know, he had 341, it's like 618 the rest of that season in 1964. So he he finished strong, which is always excellent. Uh, OPS plus, he had a 166 the following three years. Again, he was right there um, with Willie Mays. He was actually better than Mays, better than Clemente, better than Aaron, better than Cepeda can't get much better than that in that span of time. I mean, you're talking about four of the greats. Um, 65 season, that's kind of what a lot of folks know about, which is odd that they would know that about um, Dick Allen, but there was a, a, a little kerfuffle in the dugout, and he gets hit with a bat. Um, but because not a lot of folks talked about it, he got threatened with that fine if he talked about it. So, of course, the media blamed him. Um, and, again, I think we probably all know why yeah um and it's interesting because frank thomas even though they didn't talk about it he did not want the manager uh, to release him for that incident because he he knew he was not involved in it at all um uh, but that's when things as, as austin states here um kind of went downhill after that his his bat kind of struggled after that um one of the first guys were batting he held out in the field to protect but he did it because things were being thrown at him i mean that's mm. I can't, I can't even imagine that. And it, I mean, this wasn't the 1940s. This was yeah. the sixties and the seventies. And I get it was a pretty volatile time, but right. still that, that much. Um,
0: and by the way, when you say Frank Thomas, it's not the big hurt Frank Thomas. It's, it's not the
1: big that... hurt and it's not the other big Frank Thomas. It's, this was just a little, uh, you know, infielder guy.
0: <laughs> oh You yeah.
1: know, But uh, and then he had some alcohol problems after that because of all the scrutiny he was under. Mm. Um, wrote messages in the dirt to himself, um, which I found very interesting yeah, I did, He to St. Louis at the end of the sixties, then he got traded to the Dodgers. So at this point, obviously his production was waning a little bit and probably was thought of it's probably not worth the trouble that he was. He was perceived to bring, which he didn't bring. Um, then he went to the white Sox and got MVP in 72. And now this is remember when I watched Dick Allen play in the seventies, because my dad obviously went to a lot of Sox games, watched them on TV on channel 44 all the time. Um, but he was only there for a couple of years, got traded over to Atlanta. This is a really interesting part of Dick Allen. He decided to retire instead of, um, going to Atlanta because he enjoyed Chicago so much. He did not want to go to Atlanta. I don't blame him. So he, retired. So he, he did have him come out of retirement. Um, but he didn't produce as much, obviously the fans turned on him again. Um, but they turned around and treated him well a second time around. Um, and he enjoyed the second stint over there. Um, Sox or Philadelphia rather. So not sure what happened. that would have made them turn, but they turned apparently and, and thought of it was a favorite. And I think I read something recently where they've kind of opened their arms back up to him. And um, I think they re- did they retire his number. They had uh, some sort of I know they, they had some sort of uh, event for him on the on field before a game, hmm. if I recall. Um, and in 76, they made the playoffs and uh, um, they were planning on leaving Tony Taylor off the playoff list. Uh, Allen said he wouldn't play in playoffs unless Tony Tony Taylor played. They were obviously tight, uh, and after they won the first round, they had two celebrations: one for the majority of the team, and one for Allen, who liked to keep to himself. Yeah. But I think that's why he was kind of misunderstood. He wasn't—he wasn't this brash guy. He wasn't a mildy guy. He didn't talk a lot. He was just there to literally play baseball. I truly believe this guy was one of the most in, misunderstood guys to ever play baseball.
2: That's yeah.
1: This didn't happen. Um, I think, again, we, we've been talking about, I think this guy is, he should have been a no brainer several years ago.
0: Right. Right. And we're going to get to that really quick as that's the final guy. But really quick, I just want to point out uh, on this list of 100 uh, position players, according to War, Gil Hodges was ranked number 67th overall. Tony Leva was 73rd overall. Minnie Manosa was 45th overall. Ken Boyer was 38th overall. And the only guy who would have shown up on the first page of that fan graphs leaderboard, uh, is Dick Allen, uh, who was at, um, sorry, I've got kind of distracted here. Uh, 28th overall, uh, the, so the county stats are not there only 1800 hits, a uh, little bit over 1800 hits, but the power is why you got the, why you got Dick Allen to be on your team. Um, 351 home runs, Over 1,000 RBI, 133 stolen bases from a guy who, from a power hitter. uh, That's pretty darn good. I mean, he's on the red, so that should tell you what you need. And a very efficient uh, at that with a weighted stolen base of 9.3. So the advanced stats love his running. Uh, I mean, the triple slash line, 292, 378 on base, 534 slugging, 912 ops, 400 woba. Weighted on base average, 400. And just to give people an idea of what a 400 Woba in this era means, uh, he is only behind guys like Mike Schmidt, his teammate, as you mentioned, Hank Aaron, Duke Snyder, Frank Robinson, Jackie Robinson, uh, and Willie Mays. Th- that, th- those are the guys ahead of him.
1: Well, look at the guys below him. Jim right. Rice, Eddie Matthews, Harmon Kilber Willie McCovey, Willie Stargill. They're all Hall of Red Famers. Reggie, he's way above Reggie. Norm Cash, I mean, all Hall of Favors.
0: Holy crap! Uh, Dick Allen's WRC plus—he uh, was fifty-five percent better than league average. That's fourth. Wow, fourth
1: overall. Hey, look at the three list. guys right behind him. Uh, three guys uh, right behind him. You could easily make those your three best players of all time: Willie, it, Willie it,
0: Mays, Frank Robinson, Frank 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 Hank Aaron, North. Mike Smith, and then he's ahead of him ahead of him are Stan Musial, Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams. I mean, it's pretty absurd, company. absurd, but you know, uh, obviously he played first base as you, as we've been saying, first baseman do get penalized uh, a little bit here uh, from a defensive standpoint. So that dropped them all the way to 28th overall. But um, I mean, it's pretty simple to say which way we're leaning to, but we got one more guy to talk about and that is Danny Murtaugh sure. and he was. Uh, I make this bigger. Uh, what is this? Uh, I forgot what this was. Let, let's start from the beginning. Wins, so let's just sort this by wins, just to make my life easier. And uh, Murtaugh, yeah, he's uh, he's uh, of, okay. So, the, the, the spreadsheet I'm showing is the all time 1000 plus winning manager. So, only if you it, these are the guys, according to baseball reference, who have won more than 1000 games in baseball. Um, and Murtaugh is on the list, 55th overall. But he's on the lower side on the lower end on this list with a 1, 115 wins. 540 win loss percentage, though, and that's that's gonna put him in favor with some uh people who are looking for that type of stuff. But as you know, or as you may or may not know, Dan, it is very hard for a manager to make it to the hall of fame. Yes. Uh, as uh you know Tom Kelly has two World Series championships, he's not in the hall of fame. Danny Myrtle has two World Series championships probably not getting inducted either but uh let's let me look at uh notes from uh austin has the second most victories in pirates history i wonder who number one is is it jim leland no way uh (laughs) no it's clint hurdle within one year of managing the team murtaugh brought the pirates from a seventh place team that won 33 games out of first place to second place team uh first world series championship came three years after taking over the team so that's impressive uh, uh under morta the pirates amassed 90 wins in five different seasons known for making players feel important and respected roberto clemente which made them play better and want to play well for him and uh, i mean you talk about dick allen being kind of misunderstood and being surly. roberto clemente is the ultimate misunderstood yeah. player as well and morta made him feel at home uh if we are to believe austin's research here uh so he has a two championships But the average rank was 3.3, I guess, what, third place, fourth place in those 15 years that he managed. That puts um, him somewhere in the middle of the pack of these managers. So I don't know if that's impressive enough for you. Uh, But uh, final thoughts on Danny Murtaugh before we move on and
1: review our picks. I I don't think there's anything about his. He won a couple of titles. But, I mean, you know, in 61 with the Pirates, that was a really good team. And then again in 71, an equally really good team. Not saying – that they would win with, win with anybody else, uh, but he did. You take away those two, which you can't. I mean, he's got them. he'll always have those. But if you take those away, he really. Like, I remember I watched him at the end of his career. I, there was nothing really that stood out to me about him. He was just—I always looked at him as a guy who's in that Earl Weaver mold, just an old, crabby, old school baseball guy playing <laughs> for the three-run homer. Um, always argued with the umps, Just always. It looked like a guy who's been playing baseball or involved in baseball for 50 years, 60, 70 years. is how I always looked at him. So I, I don't think there's much there myself.
0: All right, let's move on then. Uh, Let's start with, uh, we got four ballots here. It's me, you, Austin, and Melvin. Let's start with Melvin's picks. For the early baseball era, Melvin picked Bill Dolan, Lefty Old Duel, George Tubby Scales, and Vic Harris. And for the Golden Days era, he picked Billy Pierce, Dick Allen, Gil Hodges, and Minnie Minoso. So, um, any qualms with Melvin's uh, ballot there?
1: No, no, I'm, I'm surprised we didn't see Buck O'Neill there, but you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: people have different things they look for.
0: Yeah, he probably saw that he didn't have enough numbers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he went and left the old duel or Buck O'Neill here, and then, but he also picked Tubby. Excuse me, Tubby Skills and Vic Harris. So, uh, interesting to get his thoughts on that uh austin's ballot bill Dolan, buck o'neill from the early baseball era along with george tubby scales and john donaldson and for the golden days era he went with jim kite dick allen who he puts on the comments here he's actually listening in he puts in the comments saying that is one of the guys i fell in love with when i was researching his story uh gil hodges and roger maris so austin also said that he fell in love with ken boyer's story but not not in, not enough to put him as one of the uh uh, one of one of the one of his guys that he would induct to the Hall of Fame here, uh, Roger Maris is the other guy that he lists. Um, so this is a I can almost rest assured that this is a lot different than our ballots, right, Dan? Yep. Tell the folks who you went with.
1: Well, so for the early era, I took Bill Dahlen, Buck O'Neill, Bud Fowler. I took Bud Fowler because of being the first um, African American player in organized baseball. And then Vic Harris uh, chose him simply because of the managing record yeah um i told felipe that was my 4b is john donaldson but we don't have 4b so it's just those four (laughs) and then for the golden there i took tony oliva uh, dick allen of course ken boyer um the reason i selected was the reason i gave we were talking is well ron santo's in his crew's pretty close to ron santo
2: yeah that's
1: why i put him in there and then mini minoso just i think the numbers are there for mini minoso i think it's the record's clear for him
0: and then um uh, for me, I went with Bill Dolan. I mean, you heard me get excited when I saw Bill Dolan's name. This is a guy I feel an affinity because he was in a previous uh, mentioned in a, in a podcast episode with uh, Robert Holiday. But Buck O'Neill, I mean, for all the reasons we talked about, uh, uh, ambassador, uh, push for that Negro League uh, museum to, to be open. Um, he already has an award in the Hall of Fame. Might as well put him in the Hall of Fame officially. Uh, Allie Reynolds, I mean, uh, you saw me gleam when i when i talked about him uh being part of that dynasty book from peter golenbach uh so it just brought back a lot of memories so i said you know what if i have a vote i would definitely vote for ali reynolds and uh get on get a native american in the hall of fame as well it bought follow for the same reasons you mentioned for he was the first and i thought it'd be cool to elect someone from cooperstown into the cooperstown nationally baseball hall of fame i guess um and then my golden days era um, did, wait, did you uh mention your golden days era too? Or I did, yes. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Oh, yeah, you did. Ken Boyer, uh, okay. So, my era picks, my golden days era picks Jim Kite, uh, just because uh, the durability aspect of him, he pitched forever, so gotta give him some credit for that. So, he's in there. Dick Allen, for all the reasons we just mentioned, the uh, probably the one guy, the one position player that deserved to be in this hall of fame. Uh, if you are to elect anybody, it'd be him, Ken Boyer. Uh, just because uh, I liked uh, what I saw from the numbers that I saw, and uh, uh, it, it just kind—he kind of reminded me of Scott Rowland, who I also think is a Hall of Fame player. Uh, uh, although after digging into his numbers, he's not like Scott Rowland. But you know, now that's ingrained in my head. And he—I mean, he was—he was a big important piece of that Cardinals' uh, uh, 1960s teams as well. So I mean, that—that that has to count for something. And maybe, and also because number one, I'm a White Sox fan, and I believe that he does deserve it. But number two, it's one of those things where, it, it, I mean, the numbers are kind of there, but also the contribution to the game is there as well. As one of the first uh, prominent Latin American, uh, sorry, not Latin American, but just Latino players of Cuban descent, especially where he had to defect. This is all we're talking about post Fidel Castro Cuba here. And he made a name for himself in Major League Baseball, despite the probably getting a late start in his life uh, in terms of playing in the big leagues. And there's our picks. Um, it's
1: interesting, there's only bit, there's only one unanimous person out of all eight of those, and it's Dick Allen.
0: Dick Allen. Yeah. So Oh, Bill Dolan, too.
1: Oh, Bill Dolan, too. You're right. And I, I thought Buck O'Neill would be the second one, but that's okay. He's still got enough, three out of four.
0: So, with that being said, Bill Dolan, Buck O'Neill, Dick Allen, and Minnie Minoso. Uh, as you know, Dan Butler, we have a Baseball High Hall of Fame as well. We do. And... Since we are the self-appointed committees to both of these ballots, those uh, gentlemen that I just named are going into the Baseball Life Hall of Fame, and I'm going to put your guys's name on it as being part of that committee to elect those guys into the Baseball Life Hall of Fame. So even if the national, if the National Baseball Hall of Fame doesn't get this right, we get, we did it right. We did. Sure, we did. it's a small sample hey, just size.
1: A, just a reminder for anybody who's who's listening, watching, whatever the case might be. Um, don't forget, there's a posted. Uh, or there's a, a post in Baseball Life um, with the link to vote for the current Hall of Famers. There's 20 guys on the list. You can vote up to 10. Um, you know, we had 45 responses last year. We've got over 8,000 people in the group. I'm not a math major, but that's not very good. That's so a very, very, very low turnout. So look look at look at the group. I believe it's up at the top. I believe it, I believe Vince pinned it up there at the top, or you, you might have pinned yeah,
0: it. I did, but it doesn't matter. We it's uh I, I mean I, I told us that hey we create you know as admins we need to participate in this and
1: uh, yeah so so I think so go go in there um you know we have a lot of discussion all the time about who should and who shouldn't here's your opportunity to tell people who you think and I'm not sure we haven't quite decided how long the voting is going to go. Um, uh.
0: Yeah, I'll be out there, there for a while, you know. Getting it it's, for a couple,
1: two, three more weeks at least. we got to get more than 45. With 8,000 members in a group, Yeah, I know. No reason we shouldn't have well over 500 or 1,000 votes. I mean, yeah. and, you know, it's all calculated automatically. I haven't checked in a couple of days, so I really don't have much of an update right now. Um, I probably won't give updates as far as singular players because you don't want to have someone say, well, I was going to vote for that guy, but he's only got 10% of my level for him. <laughs> so it'll be more generic like oh there's three guys right now who who have qualified based on a percentage of votes but probably won't name names <laughs> well I, i'm uh, i number one i have to look for my
0: uh gmail password because you need to have your uh, your email password or, or your gmail account uh all in a row and i have to look for it i know I, I have it somewhere i know where it is i just have to get it and uh i have I still have to do the research on these guys, so but are best assured sure I'm gonna vote, and I'm gonna take a full advantage, and I'm gonna vote for all ten of the guys that I'm allotted to. So uh, I'm not one of those guys who's I'm, I'm only voting for one guy and one guy only. No, I'm voting for all ten guys. But yeah, the Bill Dowling, Buck O'Neill, Dick Allen, Minnie Minosa, uh, they will be in our Baseball Light Hall of Fame. I will put see Austin, Austin, Dan, and Melvin as part of the uh, committee there. Uh, so as long as the admins don't take that pin post down, you guys are now living. That is your uh, contribution, your your permanent contribution to this Facebook group. So I thank you for that. And speaking of, uh, thank you, thank you, Dan, for showing up tonight. Greatly appreciated uh, showing up. And uh, I would ask you where they could find you, but I mean, they know where they find you. They could just go to the Facebook. I mean, the, the Baseball Live Facebook group. And yep, I'm there. Then talk about Purdue basketball and football with you.
1: I uh, don't get me started on basketball. <laughs> we got hosed over, but that's okay.
0: all right well hey if you want if you guys want to talk about basketball there is the basketball life group as well we'll talk some hoops there college hoops nba hoops european hoops women's hoops if uh, hula hoops whatever loop-de-loops it is christmas time all right that's enough out of me my name is felipe that's dan over there purdue alum you were listening to the total basis podcast we will be here uh hopefully next Either Sunday or Monday, I haven't decided. Let's see if Austin catches uh, ducks in a row. Uh, Dan, I can't thank you enough once again for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate it. it, And I bid everybody a good night. We'll see you next time. Have a good one, everybody.